Good morning. It is great to see you guys. Welcome to Seacoast Church. Uh, glad to have you guys with us. My name is Josh Surratt, and uh, I'm one of the teaching pastors here at the church, and uh, just excited to be, be with you guys here at the Long Point campus. Also want to welcome those of you that are joining us online, uh, or maybe you're at one of our campuses. In fact, I, I was thinking about this this morning. How cool is it that we are able to worship together uh, with, uh, there's probably about 1,500 people here in this this building, and then including the, the chapel and the warehouse and all of our campuses, we're able to worship together with close to 12,000 people this weekend. So would you guys help me welcome those of, those, those of them that are joining us online on the campuses? Uh, we're glad you guys are here. Love being a part of this church with you guys. Uh, we are in a series called The New Normal. And uh, we've been doing this series, we're in week five of it so far. And so what I thought I'd do, if there are some of you that are new today, or maybe you're, you, you missed a couple of weeks, I want to just kind of catch you up on this series and what we're talking about. The new normal is this new way of relating to God as Christ followers. In light of what Jesus did for us on the cross, things should look different for us on the other side of that. And so week one, Greg talked to us about uh, the new normal. He, he showed us, we're studying the book of Galatians. And Paul wrote this book to the Galatian church, and this wasn't one of those warm and fuzzy books that he wrote, like, hey, love you guys, want to encourage you. This was kind of a reprimand. Uh, this, he, he was pretty upset with the Galatian church because they had reverted back to the old normal. They had reverted back to the old way of living, legalism. They'd listened to some false teachings, and so he, he reprimanded them. And then week two, Pastor Chip Judd talked with us about how in light of the new normal, uh, God's perspective towards us is one of a loving father. One of, I mean, he, he, he loves us unconditionally. So we have access and we should, we should understand that, that God looks at us with this unconditional love. And then week three, Greg talked to us about the fact that there's the blessing of, uh, of grace and then there's the curse of the law and how because of what Jesus did for us, all of us who've committed our lives to Christ should live under that blessing of grace, which basically means we have all of the benefits as if we had obeyed the law perfectly you know, by the letter of the law. And so that was really good news. And we talked about the grace of Jesus. And then last week, Pastor Jeff was here, came back and uh, visited with us and talked about how uh, our paradigm should shift from being slaves uh, of God to being sons and daughters and how instead of being in a rules-based connection to God, we should be in a relationship-based connection and and we're in this covenant relationship with God. And so it's been really, really cool talking about the new normal. This week, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, you may want to go ahead and open up to Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to talk about, Paul kind of turns the corner here into what is our life, what should our life look like now? I mean, how does this all impact the way we live our life on a day-to-day basis? And so I'm excited about getting into that. Before we do it, though, would you guys join me and pray as we get started? God, I just thank you so much for your word. Uh, God, I thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you've communicated your truth to us. And so I pray, Lord, and acknowledge that uh, in and of myself, Lord, I have nothing to offer that would change lives, that would really bring any lasting change, God. So we're dependent on your Holy Spirit to fill each of us. We just want to open up our, ourselves to, to hear from you, to hear from your word. God, I thank you that March Madness is coming, and I pray for my bra- bracket right in front of all my friends. You bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry, just got to keep it real. That's how it goes with me. You're just already submitting that to him in prayer. How, how do you know that you need a new normal? You know, sometimes, sometimes we know, like in various areas of our lives, it's pretty obvious. You know, if you have kids and they, they ride a bike with training wheels, there comes a point, you know, about sixth grade where you're like, you got to take them off. It's time to, to get into the new normal, uh, maybe a little earlier than that. Uh, but, but other times it takes maybe a close call in your life that, that, that shows you, hey, it's time to move into a new season here. It's time to move in to a new normal. 
my wife and I had one of those close calls with my son uh, last year. We had moved in last uh, spring to a, a house we're renting. Uh, we moved into it for a couple of reasons. One, it was really cheap and it was close to the beach. So we were excited about that. But also it had a pool in the backyard. And so very cool deal. And we, we moved in. It didn't have a fence around it. So we built a fence around this pool. But we were really excited about having access to a pool all the time. And so last spring, it was probably about April or so, we had started using the pool a little bit. And we decided one morning... Uh, Friday morning, Friday Family Fun Day, we do it. Uh, we, we spend time together as a family right now while our kids aren't in school. And we decided we were going to go swimming in the pool. And so we walked out to the pool to get their bathing suits and get kind of their swim floats and uh, test the water, make sure it was good. And, and we were bringing the kids back inside to change them into their bathing suits and put their, their life vests on. And so Lisa was carrying Greta Kate and Miles came in right behind her. And uh, I was going to, she was getting Greta Kate dressed and I was going to get Miles dressed. But uh, for some reason, I, I, I was looking for my phone. I was expecting a phone call. So I popped into my room real quick to see if I could find it and came back out, couldn't find it, went back to where Lisa was and said, hey, would, would you mind calling my phone? Because I, uh, I can't find it. I've lost my phone. And right as I was saying that, both of us realized, where's Miles? Uh, he, he wasn't with us. And so immediately we had this sinking feeling inside that something was not right. And so we both sprinted out to the pool uh, first thing to, to find out. And sure enough, we get to the pool and, and we, we look into it and we see the site that we'll never forget. I mean, it was burned into, into my memory forever. Miles was at the bottom of the pool uh, looking up at me, uh, up at the sky. His head was underwater, uh, hands raised up and just, you know, helpless. And so we dove in and thankfully he had, he had been in not, not even long enough. To, he'd held his breath. Uh, so we pulled him out and he just started crying, didn't have to do any, any CPR and he was fine. But as you can imagine, that was kind of one of those life-changing moments for us. Close call, uh, you start asking, you know, what could have happened and what, what might have been if God hadn't kind of revealed to us at that moment that something was off. And so, so, so some things had to happen. Uh, some, some changes had to happen in our life. One of them uh, is that we, we, we changed the fence. We, we put a spring on the fence and we added a lock up top so that it automatically swings shut anytime we walk out so that something like that couldn't happen. But the big new normal that we knew we needed to move into is it was time for Miles to learn how to swim. Uh, we had to teach him how to swim. And the deal with Miles is he had, he had been swimming for a while, but he used these. Uh, these are swimmies. This is kind of the, the 21st century version of the swim, swimmies that you used to wear around your arm. And, and Miles had, had gotten really comfortable with the pool because of these swimmies. He could get all around the pool and had kind of a false sense of security that he knew how to swim. And so we made a decision that day that anytime we get back in the pool... We're going to spend the first 15 minutes of our time together without the swim float. We're just going to get in and we're going to work on swimming. And over time, he got a little bit better at it and a little bit better. And eventually, he became very good at swimming. But it, without fail, anytime we got into the pool, there would come a moment where he would go, Daddy, please let me go back to the swim. Please, please let me put my float on. Why? Well, because he was a better swimmer, at least he felt like it, when he had his float on. He could move quicker. It was kind of a false sense of, of security and of confidence for him and his ability to swim. But what we learned as parents, and at, at the last service, there was a woman who's been doing swim, swim instructions for or swim lessons for 30 years, and she confirmed it, is that the problem with these things, it is, that's what it is. It's a false sense of security. While the good thing about them is it'll keep you from drowning, the bad thing about it is it will not teach you how to swim. The only way that you can learn how to swim is to get in the water and start practicing and working with, with, with an instructor or with your parents. And so, so we had to get rid of the old normal. But Miles so desperately wanted to go back to the old normal because it was just more comfortable and he had more confidence with it. And I was thinking about that, and I'm a lot like Miles when it comes to wanting to revert back to the old way of doing things. Have you ever tried something new? 
and, and, and got into it and wanted to kind of revert, revert back to the old way of doing it. I think all of us tend to deal with that sometimes. Some things you don't have to worry about that. Like I don't know many 17-year-old kids who have a driver's license that, that have a tendency to revert back to the bike. You know, you're excited about it. You're going to keep going. Uh, n- no problem. But in a lot of areas, we have this tendency to revert back to the old normal. How many of you guys are married here today? Okay. A lot of you guys are married. I've been married for almost 11 years now. And, and how many of you would admit that at some point during that first probably year of being married, there was at least one moment that you thought to yourself, do not raise your hand, by the way. Don't raise your hand. But, but you thought to yourself, wow, it, it was a lot easier in the old way. I mean, I had a lot more freedom in, in the old way of doing things. You, you want to revert back to, the, and, and the, the new is good, and you love the new, but man, there are some things you miss about the old. I know you're tracking with me by the way you're looking, but thank you for not, not raising your hand. You get yourself in trouble for that. Uh, or, or maybe it's the way that we communicate. I was thinking about social media. You know, it's, it's, it's a whole new way of communicating. And uh, Facebook and Twitter and this, this like 24-7 access to people. And there are a lot of us that are like, man, I would love to just revert back to the days when you just got out of your house and walked next door and interacted and related with, with your neighbors. And uh, we, we tend to want to revert back to the old way, even though the new way isn't changing. It's, it's a new normal for us in the way that we relate to each other. Well, the same is true for us in our relationship with Christ. Uh, we commit our lives to Christ and there's going to be times that, that we understand the freedom and the grace that we have, but we're tempted to revert back to the old way of doing things. And Paul knew that that was going to be the case. And that's why uh, the first verse on your outline sheet, he opens it up in, in Galatians 5, 1. And here's what he says. He says, so Christ has truly set us free. And you guys remember, that's good news. That's like great news. We're free from the law of the Old Testament. Christ has come to set us free. But then he says, now, make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ is going to be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you've been cut off from Christ. You've fallen away from God's grace. Why why is Paul so obsessed with this? If you've read this book uh, with us uh, during this series, you recognize he goes back to this issue so many times. It's like, dude, are you a single issue guy or what? But but the reason he keeps going back to the circumcision deal is because he knows that we're going to have a tendency to go back, to revert back to the old way of relating to God. See, most of us, if, if, if you've committed your life to Christ, there was a moment in time where you, you recognize and, and you realize that what Christ did for you on the cross and you experience the, the freedom of the gospel and, and you realize that all of the sin that you've ever dealt with in the past, all of the sin that you're ever going to deal with in the future has, has, has been dealt with by Jesus dying on the cross. And, and we're free from that. We don't have to be stuck in that. And, and you even feel free. But what happens is over time, you know, you, you start living out this faith and one of a couple of things happens. One, you realize that some of the old stuff that you used to struggle with still kind of pokes its head into your life every now and then. Some of those old temptations, some of the old sin that you dealt with, the stuff from the old normal, it doesn't just go away overnight. And so you have to figure out how do I deal with sin now? And the temptation is, well, maybe I'm going to go back to this list mentality where as long as I have en- enough good things that overshadow the bad things that I'm doing, if my good list is longer than my bad list, then I'll feel like I'm right with God. Problem is, Paul's saying, that's not the way we relate to God. We, we are to be free. Christ has set us free. Make sure we stay free from that list mentality. Or maybe you're like me, and, and over time you started to realize that, 
God has produced some change in you as you've grown in your relationship with him. And then the further you get from that commitment to Christ, the more tempted we are to just think that, that we've got it together. That, man, God loves me because I've, I've really changed. Look at what's happened in my life since then. And we start to feel superior maybe to somebody who hasn't committed our lives to Christ. And that's obviously really ugly pride. And it's the old normal. It's the same thing. It's going back to the old way of viewing ourselves as right because of something we did rather than right because of something that, that Jesus did on the cross for us. And so, so Paul knew that we were going to deal with that. That's why he keeps coming back to that issue. You know, he was writing to a, mostly Jews or a lot of Jews, there were some, some Gentiles as well, and, and the Jews had been so used to this old way of living, slavery to the law of Moses. And, and one of my favorite movies is Shawshank Redemption. I don't know if you guys have seen it. Who's seen Shawshank Redemption? I love the movie. And in it, we see a picture of how just even a few years of living in slavery, living in captivity, can change the way that we think. And I think a lot of us in the church are a lot like Brooks from Shawshank Redemption. Hey, what? Wait, wait a minute. What's he done to you? That's what they done. I got, I got no choice. Brooks, you're not going to hurt Haywood. We all know that. Even Haywood knows that, right, Haywood? Sure. I know that, sir. You know why you're not going to hurt him? Because he's a friend of yours and because Brooks Hadlin is a reasonable man. That's right. That's right. Is that right, guys? Yes. So put the knife down. Brooks, Brooks, look at me. Put the knife down. Brooks, look at his neck, for God's sake. Brooks, look at his neck. He's bleeding. It's the only, it's the only way they'd let me stay. Come on, this is crazy. You don't want to do this. Come on, put it, put it down. I just don't understand what happened in there. That's all. Old man's crazy as a rat. Would you knock it off? Brooks ain't no bug. It's just. Just institutionalized. The man's been in here 50 years, Hayward. 50 years. This is all he knows. In here, he's an important man. He's an educated man. Outside, he's nothing. Just a used-up con with arthritis in both hands. Probably couldn't get a library card if you tried. You know what I'm trying to say? I'm telling you, these walls are funny. First you hate them, then you get used to them. Enough time passes, you get so you depend on them. That's institutionalized. You can never get like that. Oh, yeah? Say that when you've been here as long as Brooks has. They send you here for life? That's exactly what they take. Part that counts anyway. See, many of us have been institutionalized by the old way of thinking. You know, we're institutionalized by the old way of relating to God. We want to go back to what feels safe and secure. And so what I'm excited about this weekend is that Paul's going to address that, and he's going to talk about how do we really change. Because you know, the truth is, I love the quote that uh, Tim Keller had. Uh, the truth is that the law is just a lot cleaner. Sometimes it's easier, it's safer to, to, to go by. Grace is messy. Grace re- requires us to actually trust the work that God is doing in us and the work of the Holy Spirit to produce change in us. And Tim Keller said, he's the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. He said, even after you are converted by the gospel, your heart will go back to operating on other principles unless you deliberately, repeatedly set it to gospel mode. 
And I want us today to deliberately and repeatedly set our hearts back to gospel mode. That's why Paul said it in verse 7. He said, you are running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. It's like a little bit of yeast. I didn't really get that analogy, but but it came clear for me a couple years ago. We went to Disney World with our kids, uh, and we went to a, a water park called Typhoon Lagoon. And a really cool water park, and Miles, I think it was Miles' third birthday, and Greta Kate was one. And we went to the little family area. There was a little kiddie pool section where, uh, you know, you had all the kids, and they had all these different really cool toys that they could play with, and the pools were all connected by little streams. And so Miles was playing, and Greta Kate was playing, and and from a distance, I noticed that Miles had this look in his eyes. Uh, And uh, those of you that have kids that are toddlers still in diapers, you know the look that I'm talking about. His eyes kind of glazed over a little bit. Something was going on beneath the surface that needed to be dealt with. And so I, I got to him as quick as I could and pulled him out of the pool. And I, and I, um, yeah, I did a little quick check and I realized, yep, we've, we've had a little bit of an accident. He's wearing a swim diaper, so it wasn't that big of a deal. And I took him uh, back, back to where we were. And one of the lifeguards noticed what was going on. And uh, she asked me, hey, is everything okay with you guys? And I said, yeah, he just, you know, he had a little, little accident, but it, it just was in his diaper. No big deal. What I learned is it was a big deal. Uh, it was a real big deal. In fact, they ended up shutting down the kids' section of the Typhoon Lagoon uh, for what felt like hours based on the looks of other parents staring at us angrily during that moment. And here's what I learned. All it takes is just a tiny bit of poop to shut down an entire pool. That's all it takes is just a little bit. And, and that's what Paul was saying. He was saying, hey, it just takes a little bit. You know, be careful. Test yourself with this because it just takes a little bit of, of legalism and a little bit of that old normal to creep its way back in and it's going to mess up your whole way of relating to God. It's going gonna, it's gonna to keep you from really living in the fullness of the gospel. So be aware, we're all going to be tempted to revert back to legalism, the old way of relating to God. But then there's one more thing that he warns us about uh, in Galatians 13. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another in love, humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So, on one hand, we're going to be tempted to, to, to be, go back to legalism. He says we're free from the law. But, on the other hand, don't, don't allow that freedom to just indulge your sinful nature. You know, that's not what the freedom is for. It's not so that you can just do whatever you want to do and indulge whatever you feel like doing and kind of have this laissez-faire or anarchy mindset about, about nothing is wrong and all that because what that leads to is another kind of slavery. And there are many testimonies on that is when you indulge your sinful nature, it brings about addictions, it brings about materialism, it brings about other kinds of things that hold you in captivity. It's just as bad as the way the law held you in captivity. So, so you have these two extremes. You have legalism, then you have... Well, obviously, we don't want to indulge in our sinful nature. So the question is, how do we really change? I mean, how, how, do, how, do, how do we experience, as Christ followers, in the new normal, how do we experience lasting, true change that's led by God? And that's what Paul addresses next, and that's what I want us to spend the, the rest of our time really wrestling with and talking about. How do we, as believers, in the new normal, experience change? Look at this next passage, Galatians five sixteen through 23. Paul answers it for us. He says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Why don't you underline that, star it, highlight it? That's the answer to that question. How does true change happen in our lives? 
It's when we let the Holy Spirit guide our lives. Some translations say, walk with the Holy Spirit. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting with each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Man, I know some of you probably relate to that. I definitely do. These two, you know, you've got the sinful nature, you've got the Holy Spirit, and they're constantly at battle within us, constantly warring against each other to, 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 tr- to try to get us to do one thing or the other. But he says, when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the, the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. And he lists some things, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. And then he gives us a pretty clear warning. So let me tell you again, as I have before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Anyone living over here just indulging your sinful nature, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. And underline the word fruit. It says love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. See, there's a lot implied in here. We could spend a whole series talking about the battle of, of the sinful nature and the spirit man. But what I want us to focus on is, is what's implied in the word fruit. The phrase, the fruits of the spirit. If you've been in church very long, if you grew up in church, you've heard that phrase, uh, the fruits of the spirit. But here's the deal. Paul could have used any number of words to describe these things. He could have said the characteristics of the spirit. He could have said the, the acts of the spirit. But he chose to use the word fruit. And he uses this botanical analogy. And Jesus used it a lot too. In John 15, he talks about how he's the vine and we're the branches and we're to connect in. And, and there's a lot that we can learn about spiritual growth and the nature of spiritual growth by understanding the nature of botanical growth. And so that's what I want us to talk about. The first thing we can learn, the new normal happens gradually. The new normal happens gradually. We have a kumquat tree in our yard. I had no idea what a kumquat was, uh, but they're these little orange fruits that are really sour. They're really good. One day we pass this tree all the time when we go get our mail. And one day we walked in last spring around this time of year because it's blooming again. And we saw all these kumquats. And, uh, and so Lisa knew what they were. We took them off. We ate them. They're fantastic. And here's the deal. It, it seemed like they just sprouted overnight. But the truth is those kumquats had been growing for a long time. There's a, a season of growth where, where there's a pruning that happens. And then there's a season where these things begin to grow. And then they bud. And then they start growing. And, and definitely there are seasons of rapid growth. But the truth is the growth process for fruit is a slow, gradual process. If I were to stand there and stare at that tree all day long, I wouldn't see any growth happening with my eyes. But, but, but over time, spiritual growth is gradual, and, and, or uh, botanical growth is gradual, and so is spiritual growth in the new normal. See, even if you've experienced heart change, you, you've, you've experienced the gospel, and God has made you a new creature, there are going to be times that, that, that the stuff, the old stuff, the old way of thinking is going to, feel like that's what's happening in your life. You think and act like the old normal. And the challenge with spiritual growth and gradual growth is that you can't actually feel it happening. You don't always know. The only way you can know is when it's tested. For example, uh, I, 
I, I realized the other day, about two weeks ago, that I'm just, I'm getting a little bit overweight. You know, here's what happened. I, I got a, I, I was at an event one night, and the next morning I got a picture somebody sent to me uh, just to be nice and send me a picture. And, and I looked at it, and I thought, man, you used to be big, dude. Then I realized that that picture was from the night before. Uh, so it was like, okay, reality, significant emotional met, uh, event. We got to deal, deal with this here. And so I started a Biggest Loser Challenge. Uh, I've got about 25 of my friends. A lot of you guys in the church are doing it with me. And we're just, we put some money on the table so that it would hurt if we, we lost. And, and we're really holding each other accountable to losing some weight. And I've been in it for about a week. And here's the, the frustrating thing about weight loss is that I can't actually feel the weight going off. The only thing I feel is grumpy, hungry, a little bit miserable from time to time. Uh, but I can't feel the weight going off. The only way that I can know if I'm losing weight is how? Testing it, stepping on a scale. I do it every morning, and, and I can see that gradually that weight is starting to, to go off. Now, come May, when the, the contest is over, I hope that if you put a picture of me uh, from, from today and a picture of me in May, you'll be able to see, wow, a lot happened there. I lost some weight, but it's a gradual process. And that's how spiritual growth is. So why do I tell you that? Be patient. Be patient with it. The only way to, t- to know it is to test it. And there are going to be times in your life, all of us go through them, there are going to be tests. They're not all tests that God puts in front of us, but just test. Sometimes it's uh, somebody says something that, 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 that ticks you off and, and you respond in a way and, and you think back and you go, man, I don't think the old guy would have responded that way. You know, that, that was cool to see how God kind of held me back there. Or maybe you go through a really difficult thing. You walk through a season that, that's just tough. Maybe it's a season of waiting or a season of loss. And, and, and you look back and you go, you look back on that moment and you go, I would have never been able to get through that prior to Christ. Those are the kinds of tests that that sometimes show us, wow, we have actually grown. We've experienced growth. So be patient. Be patient with yourself, Uh, especially you guys at the Somerville campus. You know, it's a slow, slow growing group over there. I'm joking. We love you guys. Uh, But be patient with, be patient with your loved ones. Recognize that spiritual growth is something that happens gradually. That's why Paul used the fruit analogy. It's hard to see in the moment. Uh, Don't get jealous of, of rapid growth. You know, there are times of rapid growth, and we sometimes share testimonies where people share, man, man, God just touched me, and overnight, everything that I used to struggle with was gone. And, and I celebrate that and thank God that he's able to do that in some people's life. But for every one person that's experienced rapid growth like that, there's 15 that experience slow, gradual, Holy Spirit-led, just you know, slow fruit growing. And so don't, don't see rapid growth in somebody else and get jealous about it or get upset about it, and, and just be patient with the process. Now, quickly, there's some things we can do. Uh, you, you know, if you're like me, you're asking, okay, I get it. It's gradual. What can I do, though, to, to help it grow? And, and I, I, the truth is, again, it's the spirit that produces the fruit. So you can't produce it yourself, uh, just like you can't produce an apple if you wanted to. You know, the spirit produces it. But we can put ourselves in environments where we grow, spending time in God's word, spending time with other believers who are also growing and have this desire to grow so that we, we, we can kind of rub off on each other and encourage each other. And, and remember, all these things, these aren't the old normal way of doing it. We're not doing these things so that God will feel good about us. He already does feel great about us. We're doing these things so that, so that we'll be put in environments where we can grow, become more like him. So it happens gradually. Second thing, the new normal happens inevitably. It's inevitable for a believer. What do I mean, mean by that? I mean, if we, if we are saved, if we're connected, if we've experienced the gospel of Christ and the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, at some point along the way, and it may be gradual, we're going to see fruit. The Spirit is going to produce fruit in our lives. I love the way G. Campbell Morgan, he's a British minister, 
he tells a story that's an incredible example of gradual but inevitable growth. He said he was in Italy and he was walking through a graveyard and he noticed in a man's grave there was a huge marble slab over this guy's grave. And at some point, you know, probably about 600 years ago, an acorn had gotten underneath that marble slab. And over time, that acorn produced a shoot. And over time, that shoot became a tree. And, and eventually, that acorn became a tree. And it grew and it split the middle of this marble slab. It grew right up in the middle of it. And it split it in half. And, and he was telling that story. And he, he was saying that you know, common sense would say you have an acorn. You have a 1,000-pound piece of marble slab. Who wins that battle? You know, it's, it's kind of a no-brainer, right? Well, it is a no-brainer. The acorn wins every single time. Given enough time, given the, uh, the gradual process, the acorn is going to win that because that's the nature and that's the power of botanical growth. So how much more so should we be excited about the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to produce that kind of change in us? It may be gradual, but at the end of the day, there's going to be fruit. You know, th- th- there's always going to be fruit. It, you're not saved by fruit. You know, don't forget that. You're, you're not saved by fruit. You're saved by faith. But you're not saved by fruitless faith. There has to be fruit with it. Philippians 1.6, Paul said it this way. He said, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Who began a good work in you? The Holy Spirit. God did. He will bring that to completion. He will produce fruit in our lives, which means we have to ask ourselves the tough questions. You know, ask ourselves, is there fruit? Is there evidence of my faith in my life? In fact, it may be easier to ask a loved one who's walked with you for a period of time, and is there fruit coming from my life? And I think about it this way. I've got young kids. Uh, as I relate to my kids, uh, especially when they're disobedient, when they don't act exactly the way that, that they should, which mine always do. I'm sure yours don't, though. And so I'm joking, obviously. Uh, but am I becoming more patient in the way that I deal with my kids? Am I becoming more patient in the way that I deal with people at work? Am I becoming a more loving person? Am, am, is my love for others growing deeper? Or am I becoming more bitter and more angry and more unloving towards people. These things that, that as, as you look at your life today, compare it to your life last year and ask these questions, tough questions, but they go, man, is there fruit? Because if you're a believer, it's going to be gradual. It's going to take time. Be patient. But ultimately, there's going to be fruit that is produced in our lives. Third thing, the new normal happens internally. Internally. Look at Galatians 5:19 again. It says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. By obvious, they're external. They're things that you can see. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Notice that he says the acts of the flesh are obvious. And you know that. If you know someone who's jealous and it's consumed them, it's obvious. It's, it, you hear it in the way they talk. You hear it in the way they, they, they look on their face. Uh, but, but why doesn't he say... The acts of the flesh are, you know, lead to sexual immorality, but the fruit of the Spirit is sexual purity. Or, or why doesn't it say the acts of the flesh lead to fits of rage, but the fruit of the Spirit is random acts of kindness and love towards your neighbor? It doesn't say that. It says the acts of the flesh are obvious, but the fruit of the Spirit is something that happens on the inside. It's something that begins on the inside. Obviously, the external actions follow it, but... But why is that? It's because the gospel of Jesus Christ is not about behavior modification. He didn't save us just so that he could modify our behavior. It's about an internal work of the Holy Spirit changing us from the inside out so that it's lasting 
so that, so that it stands the test of time and it's, it produces fruit. I, as I said, I've been married for 11 years. And, and so when I got married, there were certain obligations that went with that. Uh, just like when I became a believer, there are certain obligations, certain ways that we're supposed to act and certain things I'm supposed to do. Uh, for example, in my marriage, uh, when we got married, uh, I lost the ability to date other people. I don't know how that worked out for you, but for me, it was pr- pretty clear that one of the obligations in, in, in being married is that I'm going to remain faithful to my wife. That's a good thing. Uh, I also, I lost the ability to just, on a spur of the moment, just to pick up and leave and, and, and leave town with my my friends for a weekend. You know, I, I can still do those, but they require some communication, uh, some planning, and some, you know, give and take and consideration of my wife's feelings. Uh, I also knew there were some other obligations that I should probably go on dates with her. I should probably treat her well. I should probably get her flowers every now and then. I should probably do some things that would enhance that marriage. But here's the truth. The key to a successful marriage is not that we fulfill all these obligations. Because Lisa's smart, and she's figured out there are times that I'm just going through the motions and doing the obligations, but if I'm not buying into it on the inside, then it's not going to lead to a long, successful marriage. You know, I can't just come up with these, here are the things that I'm supposed to do, and I'm going to do these things right, and I'll have a happy marriage. Right? It, it requires God producing fruit inside of me that, that helps me to become more loving towards my, my wife, helps me to become more patient, more gentle in the way that I deal with her. And, and out of those things, as he transforms the inside, obviously there are going to be external things that, that, that follow. And let me just say, there are sometimes you have to fake it. Uh, in, in 11 years, there are sometimes you have to do the external things and hope the internal comes. But, but as, as, a, as, a, as a rule, God's going to change us on the inside and it will lead us to sustainable long-term change that isn't just uh, changing the facade, the outside. So a lot of times I feel like we can confuse the fruit of the Spirit with, with the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts sometimes are external. There are gifts of leadership, there are gifts of speaking, teaching, uh, you, you know, singing, IQ, you know, intelligence, all that stuff. Those are great, but those aren't the fruit of the Spirit. And too often as believers, we confuse spiritual growth with, with growing our resume. And, and the scary thing about that is that, that you can be a great leader. You can have a strong gift of leadership. And, and the Bible speaks of this in some passages where, where people will say, man, I, I, I healed people in your name. I, I prophesied in your name. I led in your name. And Jesus says, but I never knew you. And, and so, so there are people, we could lead well. We, we could exercise our gifts well. But if we're not changing on the inside, th- then that's a great indication that we need to run back to the cross and run back to God and say, God, I want to reconnect to your Holy Spirit. You know, people's lives may be changing because of me, but if my life isn't changing, then I'm in trouble. I need to get back to you. And so it happens internally. So gradual, internal, inevitable. The last thing is that the new normal happens symmetrically. Now hang with me here. It happens symmetrically. You're like, what are you talking about? Look back at this verse. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I'm not an English major, but something about that sentence bothered me when I read it. Because it says the fruit, singular, is, which is singular as well, and then it lists this list of things, plural things that, that, that are going on. And so again, I'm not an English major. I talked to uh, what, Tara Banks actually is our worship leader and she also used to teach. Uh, and so I asked her, what's up with this sentence? And here's what she told me. She said that the verb doesn't agree with the predicate. I have no idea what that means, but that's what she said. <laughs> and so I can just assume that Paul missed some English classes, right? I mean, obviously he did. He didn't speak English, but, but, but what's going on with that? Well, as I researched it, most theologians and commentaries 
agree that he did that on purpose. That's actually intentional. Why? He's trying to show us something that's really important about the nature of change, about the nature of living in the new normal. See, all of the fruits of the Spirit are connected. They come as a package deal. God doesn't just change us in one area. He ultimately will change us in all of them. Now, there can be times that you see it in some areas over others, but the fruit of the Spirit is, is a package deal. It's like a basket of fruit. It's not just an individual fruit. And so the dangerous thing to do would be to scan that list of fruit, fruits of the Spirit and go, uh, all right, I got that one going. I got at least one or two of them. I'm good. God's at work in my life. Why is that dangerous? Well, for example, there are probably a lot of us that are here today, some of you guys, that you're just disciplined. Uh, you're disciplined. You're up at 5.30 every morning and you're working out. In fact, a guy told me after the last service, dude, I'm home and showered by 5.30. And, and so you've got this discipline. But that discipline maybe as a result of someone calling you a name when you were younger. Maybe someone called you fat and you resolved that I'm never going to be called that again. And so I'm going to do whatever I can to prevent myself from ha- that happening again. And is that a fruit of the Spirit? Not necessarily. It may be a result of, of hurt or a result of pride or compensation. Or maybe you're disciplined emotionally, especially some men. You know, I've got control over my emotions, right? I, I'm not going to cry because one day my dad or some man in my life told me that real men don't cry. Real men have control over their emotions. And so you may have discipline emotionally, but it may not necessarily be a fruit of the Spirit. It may be actually a matter of pride. You may be feeding your ego by, by holding on to this discipline. If it's not matched with some joy, because you know, there's some discipline that's just not life-giving. If, if, if you're not also growing in joy, then it may, not be, it may be a counterfeit fruit. Some of us have joy. You know, you're happy. You're excited. You may have joy because everything's going well in your life. You got your finances look good, your relationships are going strong, and, and that could be a counterfeit happiness. It's not wrong to be disciplined or to be joyful or be happy, but if it's not also sustained by gentleness and kindness and loving nature, and, and sometimes with the joy, that long-suffering that some translations call faithfulness and the ability to walk through difficult things yet still have this deep abiding joy that, that passes all understanding, that, that goes beyond our circumstances, that, that, then it may not be fruit. Peace is another one. Like I tend to be a pretty laid back guy, pretty peaceful guy. And it's a good thing. I mean, it's good to have peace, but you could have peace in your life. And it may be because you don't give a rip. You just don't care. And so, yeah, I'm peaceful. Who cares? You know, you're content living with mom at the age of 35 and blogging all the time. You know, this is no big deal. Or, or maybe it's not, it's not balanced with any love. You know, you're peaceful, but, but, but you also don't, don't love. You don't, you don't feel in a way, uh, in that deep love so that so you can't enter into other people's circumstances and have empathy for them. And, and, and the Bible says that in the way that Paul wrote this, he wants us to know that these, these fruit are connected. So, so be sure that God is growing. As, if you've committed your life to Christ, and remember, it's gradual. It takes time. But God is ultimately going to grow all of these fruits in our lives, and they're going to be balanced with one another. And so we have to remember that it's gradual. It's inevitable. You've got to ask the tough questions. Is there fruit in my life? It's internal. And ultimately, it's symmetrical, it's holistic, it's, it's gonna, he's going to grow us in all of these areas. So, let's, a, let, let's ask God to examine us today. God, are you producing fruit in me, or am I trying to produce a counterfeit fruit? Am I trying to produce a man-made fruit? Because the works of the flesh, those are easy, those are things that we produce. But authentic change, the fruit of the Spirit, is something that we cannot produce on our own. We can only open ourselves up to God doing it in us. Would you guys pray with me? God, I just thank you uh, for your word.
And Lord, I thank you for even the parts that are harder to understand, even the parts, Lord, that are uh, the times that you speak to us to, to reprimand us or to, to, to get us back on course. God, I, th- I thank you that you love us enough that you're willing to do that in all of our lives. And Lord, I thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that is able to produce fruit in each of us. Lord, in my prayer for myself and for this church, God, is that every year that passes, every year that goes by where we're learning and growing in you, Lord, that these fruit become more and more evident in this church, that we would be a church that's characterized, Lord, by our love for one another and our love for the lost, that we would be characterized, God, by a deep joy and a zest for life and a fullness in life, God, a peace, Lord, that passes understanding, Lord, discipline, that we would, we would be disciplined to do the things that you've called us to do. God, that we would be gentle, that we'd be kind, that we'd be good, we'd be faithful with the things that you've given us. Lord, in recognizing that these aren't things that we can do on our own, but these are things that we can open ourselves up to, your spirit leading us into, and then being obedient and, and following and walking with you when you call us to something. We love you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.